how do we become the rivers of the world rather than the reservoirs of the world? And I think it, the, the common element is gratitude. When you are in gratitude, you're not arriving, you're always giving, you're always attracting. And I, I think life's a lot better if we're, if we're attracting rather than chasing. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Sparks of Gratitude podcast. We have an awesome guest today, Lee Brower. Welcome, Lee. Thank you, Randy. Excited yep, to be and, here. And really. I expect what we have today, people, is the Gratitude Ninja. And you will see why. <laughs> when when I talk about gratitude, and, I, and I've thought about bringing this podcast and, and interviewing people and just, just sharing good principles and good experiences all revolving around the principle of gratitude. Lee was one of the first that came to mind because I thought, yeah, this is a guy who has really spent the time, put in the effort, and now is sharing this with other people to make their lives and legacies better. So, so Lee, this is going to be fun for me. <laughs> I think it's going to be fun for both of us. Well, so. excellent. So could you maybe give us a, a little background of who you are? Well, thank you. First of all, I'm a father and a husband. I have eight wonderful children. We have seven living. We lost a son to cancer when he was 22. And then we have 19 grandchildren. So that, that pretty much is, uh, keeps me going. However, as much as that is, uh, I'm very, very blessed to be involved in really what I, you know, as people say, what do you do? I say, I build bridges. And uh, they like, build bridges. And I said, yes, I build bridges that connect the very best of people with their highest and best future. And uh, there's a lot to that. My background, Randy, came from, I was in the financial services industry, focused on estate planning and uh, worked in a, with a firm in uh, Los Angeles. They had little clients like the Lyndon B. Johnson family, Dean Martin, you know, I was like the kid in the candy store, you know, so I, I can say I had them as clients, but what that really means is I carried the files in the room, but it gave me a deep passion of how does money move from one generation to the next. And so I started working down that career and became what would, what the world would consider to be financially successful. However, along that path, I started, you know, I mean, there was a statistic that just kept gnawing at me. And that was 97% of all family wealth rarely survives the third generation. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I mean, we're doing all this work. We create this trust. We do the financial work. And what we were really doing was preparing the money for the children. But what I took me to realize, we weren't preparing the children for the money. And when you started to look at that aspect of it, I started saying, why am I doing this? What are, you know, if this is an indictment on the industry. If only 3% of family wealth moves from one generation to the next, why am I doing this? And I actually reached a point where I said, what profession could I get into where I can make a difference like this? And I went back and took some classes. I decided I'm an e ER doctor. And uh, here That's I am. That's quite you know, a swing. have the business over here. From one side to another. <laughs> I know. Well, I, how do you, I, I felt a need to really be able to do something that I could feel like I was making an impact. Along that way, as we started really evaluating it and looking at things, I started really looking at saying, wait a second, you've been doing this. How can you do this to make it even better? How do you do this so that it starts to impact people? So the event happened, really, the, my turning point for me was I was in the shower and uh, this idea came to me and I jumped down, started writing it down. And a couple of hours later, I'm on an airplane flying to Atlanta 
And this was my pivot. I mean, this is a point where everything just really kind of changed. And I was sitting next to a lady and she says, what do you do? And I said, well, I started talking, she, you know, but actually what happened was she started telling me everything that she did first. And so she, I listened, listened. He says, oh, by the way, what do you do? And I took out a piece of paper based upon the thoughts I'd had that morning. And I drew a little quadrant, if you will, on it. And I wrote on the top of it, said, well, I optimize wealth. And she goes, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, when you hear the word wealth, what do you think of? And she said, well, money, real estate, and started listing a whole bunch of things. I said, so what you're talking about are things. And she goes, yes. And I said, well, do you have assets that you value more than your things? And she says, you mean like my family? I said, well, would you trade your family for more money? No. What else? And she started thinking about it. And she said, well, you know, my, my health, I wouldn't trade my health for more money. I said, okay, good. What my values, the things that I believe in my, my talents. And so I was filling all these other things in the box, that box. And I said, well, what about your education and your experiences? And she said, well, my, she said, I learned more from my bad experiences than I do my good experiences. And so I wrote experiences and relationships and reputation. And then we talked about would, in terms of, would you want to be somebody that when you left this planet, when you left it, you knew that you created more than you consumed or you consumed more than you created. And she says, well, no. And I want my children, you know, to be able to have that mindset that they create more than they consume. And I, so I had, so I had four boxes on this quadrant. One was with, with the financial, one was with what was character, the core of the things that, that you value most. One was your experiences in life. And the third one, the fourth one was the concept of being able to create more than you consume contribution. So I said, when you look at these four boxes, which ones of these boxes would you like your children to inherit from you? She said, all of them. I'd like them to benefit from our financial wealth. I want them to have good values where they put family and their faith first, and they put that over what they're doing and I really and their health. And I really want them to have great experiences, great reputation on their own, build on their own learning, their education, and stand on our shoulders maybe on that. And then fourthly, I, I want them to be, I want them to create more than they consume. And I said, well, what if you couldn't give them all four? What if you could only give them three? Which one would you leave behind? And she said, it didn't take her but a second. She took her finger and put it right on the, uh, right in that southwest corner, said financial. She said, I said, now, why did you say that? She said, well, I know this, that if my children were bankrupt here, pointing to the health and family and the, what we call the core or the character, or they were bankrupt here in their experience and the learning, or they were bankrupt here in their contribution, financial is going to go away. But if they're rich here, she points to the, you know, their belief in God, their their faith, their health, their family, and they're rich here in their experiences, their reputation, their networks, their alliances, their skills, and they're rich here in that they're contributing more than they're consuming. This is going to take care of itself. Now, see where my background was coming. That was like, boom. It's the whole you know, thing is upside down. You, you flipped it up. Exactly. And I asked her, I said, have you, have you ever done estate planning? And she goes, yes, several times. I said, several times? She says, yes, several times. And where did you and your advisors focus? And she took her finger and put it right there on the financial. Changed me completely. So then we started moving into a different way of thinking. In fact, in one day, I walked away from that industry and said, there's more that I can do. And then from that point on, I chose to work with entrepreneurs because of their influence. And so that became kind of a point. And because of the relationships that I already had with certain clients and working in the entrepreneurial area. So we started working with entrepreneurial families and businesses in that area, but looking at it from a completely different perspective. And you say in one day you walked away from it. 
one day. I went, I went from a significant income to zero in one and day. And tell me about the, the feelings and emotions you had in that one day. Was that an easy decision? Was that a challenging decision? The decision was easy. The process was difficult. In other words, it became even easier when I explained it to my wife and bless her heart. She was all in on it and she's been all in from day one. And we started really realizing. And in that moment, our whole family changed. I mean, everything changed in the family. And, and let me let me put it this way. I, I, I hesitate to use the word change. So I'm going to use the word improve. So our whole family improved and we became, and I'm going to add a four letter word to this too. And we became even better. Because uh, when you say we became better, it kind of implies maybe we weren't you know what I mean? But we became even better as a family as we started to develop traditions, quite frankly, that centered around gratitude and uh, the aspects of gratitude. Uh, you know, if I could say in one word, why doesn't wealth move from one generation to the next generation? It's lack of gratitude. That feeling of appreciation that you can get from the family that you're in and what you're doing. And, and it it's the opposite of entitlement. Let's just put it that way. So why talk a little bit more about that, of why that's so important. What have you seen in that? Why gratitude is that factor? Well, let me let me let me share it this way for a second, okay? What you know, when I look at the, the I call it phases of wealth, but it actually opens up to so much more than that. I think that when you look at I don't know where where I grew up, it was a big deal to cruise Maine on the weekend. You know what I mean? I don't know why we small town. We didn't have much to do. Get in the car. We'd drive from the Safeway to the Dairy Queen and turn around and drive back to the Safeway and back and forth. And that's the way that weekends happen for us. And, well, if everybody's uh, doing know, it, that's not, where it's all happening. <laughs> I guess. You know. But then people continue to live their life that way. And this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. This is the salt of the earth. Very predictable. They get up in the morning. They go through a routine. They go to work. They come home from that routine. Maybe they go coach their kids athletic events, or maybe they go watch when you know in some of their artistic events and dance and all the different things that they're involved with their kids. And then they come back and they have dinner. They watch their favorite show on TV and they rinse and repeat. So it's Dairy Queen, Safeway, Dairy King, Safeway. But that provides stability. It provides a foundation. So that's that's what I call the cruisers. Okay, that you can just tell where they're at and where they're going. But then there's those that want to go past the Dairy Queen, the past the Safeway, and I call those strivers. So they're striving to get out of it. The risk with strivers is they're always, not always, the risk for strivers is that frequently they're looking for the, the get rich quick. You know, how do I get from here to here? And then, oh, oh, and then they see this over there and oh, oh, and then they see this over here instead of staying with it. Those that stay with it, then they reach a stage of what, so we're going through strivers, then they reach a stage called drivers. And so the drivers, they've found something to drive. They've got occupation that gives them a sense of joy that they can grow and expand in. Maybe they become their own boss, an entrepreneur, whatever it may be, but they're now driving and they feel good about it. The enemy of driving is arriving. And so you arrive and then if you have nothing more, whether you retire, you know, or maybe you, if you're a businessman, you sell your business or you were, you're a third generation that was born on third base and you actually believe you hit a triple and you, you arrive right out the gate, you know, I mean, in terms of your mindset. And if you have that mindset, like I've arrived, you don't have that thing to aspire towards, then you dive. So we've got strivers, drivers, arrivers, and divers. Okay. And that sequence follows itself. That's how you get to the third generation or fourth generation without having that growth. So I started looking at it. That that happens with everybody to a certain degree, this arriving. You know, I'm going to arrive when I get this. I'm going to arrive when I get that. And what if you lived a life where there were no finish lines? 
You know, what if you lived a life where you just said no? You know, maybe there's instead of finish lines or instead of goals, maybe there's stepping stones or milestones. So you're always staying in motion. And so with that mindset is what I call the thrive thrivers. Okay, so they thrive. And so they bypass that arriving. So the, the arriving mindset is more of what I call a reservoir mindset, where they're always focused with what I call arrows in. How much water can I get in my reservoir? How much shoreline can I get in my reservoir? How many fish? Well, how do you get fish in a reservoir, by the way? You, you, you buy them, okay? So if I buy big enough fish, I'll get more people to fish in my reservoir. And then, you know, how do you... And look at that guy's boat. Oh, I want a boat just like that. But when you get it, then what? You've arrived. And then you're frustrated. You're not, you're not growing. You're not accomplishing. So contrast the, riv, riv, the reservoir mindset with the river mindset. The river is interested in flow. Flow attracts. It attracts tributaries. Flow attracts wildlife to its shores. It attracts spawning beds naturally. Flora, all kinds of life. At the same time, it's giving because it gives, it irrigates pastures, it irrigates crops, it creates electricity. And so this is the mindset that I think is the gratitude mindset, the thriving. If you take thrive, thrivers, and you take the E out of it, I mean, if you, you know, if, if, it, you know, if you have, if you take the rivers, you take the E out of the, it spells thrivers. And so that fits in nicely with my thing. So really, how do we, how do we become the rivers of the world rather than the reservoirs of the world? And I think it, the, the common element is gratitude. When you are in gratitude, you're not arriving, you're always giving, you're always attracting. And I, I think life's a lot better if we're, if we're attracting rather than chasing. I love how you think and imagine in metaphor, because that's the way my mind works. And you described this whole thing to me the first time we had met, and I think it was over a phone call. I don't remember if it was on the phone or the Zoom, but you described the river and, and the strive, drive, arrive, dive up to me. And I, it just, it just hit. And, and I, part of the reason it hit so hard is I remember an experience when I had decided I wanted to do my first half Ironman triathlon and I bought a bike and I had been a runner before. And, and so I trained for many months preparing for this event. And when, when I had the reward and I arrived and I crossed that finish line, it was I was ecstatic. I was, I ball my eyes out every time I cross the finish line in anything I do. But then the next day I was diving and I was in a deep depressive funk because I had arrived and now I was diving because I created a finish line. Literally I had a finish line and I learned from that lesson that, that a destination cannot be the finish line. I cannot see my life as arriving. And I've used that metaphor in my life over and over. Now, I didn't say it as eloquently as you, but I've applied that same metaphor to say, no, milestones are important along the way, achievements and milestones along the way, but they're, that's not the destination. Yeah. Just think about how that, what that does for your body. In other words, I made the decision that there's going to be no finish lines in my life. You know, I don't know when God's going to call me home. Okay. I just don't want it to be my fault. <laughs> I mean, that, you see, I, mean, I, 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 I just want to be in motion, uh, you know, in motion as we continue to go on. I think if you always have something bigger to aspire for, aspire to. And, you know, and here's a challenge. I mean, in today's world, there are no straight lines in the universe. And, you know, I think one of the things about having that entrepreneurial mindset is that that mindset is one where we're always looking into the future. And, you know, so you may say, look at that island. 
And the people around you may not be able to see it, but you see it. Uh, you see this vision of the future and you say, okay, I see that island. Uh, and you can describe it to them. Look at that island. It's beautiful. It's green flora. Look at the palm trees. Can you see the coconuts up there? Mm. Look at the water around there. It's clear. The waves are lapping on the shore and the beautiful white sand. Can you see it? Come on, let's go. Let's go. I've got this canoe I built. Here's an oar. Here's how you work it. Jump in here. Okay. And, and maybe it's even with your family. You are running a business. It doesn't matter. But having that vision, that vision to get there will sustain you through just about anything. So now I'm in motion. And so we're out there and we're all rowing in unison and you know, you know, they're, they're imagining if they can't see it, they're starting to imagine it. They're starting to believe. And then a hurricane comes along. Wife's sat out. Now, what do you do? Wait a minute. You sold that destination. You've sold that destination and it's gone. So some of your, perhaps some of the people are going to jump out of the boat. Some people just stop rowing. So as when you're in motion and you start focusing on what are those things or qualities or characteristics or destinations or no, excuse me, milestones, stepping stones that you can have that build that have no destination. So no matter what, if the hurricane wipes the island out in that moment, you know, you're a better person in that moment. You've got something that you're aspiring for, that there is no destination and that destination, that island is just a milestone. So what are those qualities or characteristics of those, those things that we can focus in on have no destination? So I've really thought about that. And I thought, wait a second, character. If I can get myself, my family to focus in on those things we value most, the character, our health, our family, our values, you know, our unique abilities, the talents, if we can get them to focus in on those things, then there's no destination. And if a hurricane wipes it out, we're trying to become, have greater character, we'll stay in motion. What about competencies? Competence. If we focus on competence, we're going to become a better rower. We can be able to do this. We can be able to be a better navigator. We use the stars. We use this kind of a thing to get there. If I can become increased competence, then we just will keep right on rowing because we know the next island is going to show up. The next milestone is going to show up. And we may cruise through there and drink some of the coconut water and have fun, but then we can't stand it. We're going to see the next, we're going to see the next one. What's another thing? Compassion. There's no destinations in compassion. So you could, what if you focus in on compassion? Say, what are the things that I can do to show more compassion for others? See, a bigger future, if it does not involve others, is not a true future. It's a future with a destination if it does not, if unless it involves others. So when you start to look at that, your destinations, if it involves others, then you can grow. And then fourth thing is connections. You know, I, if I'm increasing my connections, strengthening my connection, elevating the connections that I have so that I'm continuing growing and striving and becoming better. So if I focus on character, competence, compassion, and connections, the island gets wiped out. We're still in motion because we haven't, there's no destination. That was just going to be a milestone. We'll find the next milestone because we're now stronger. We're rowing. We're making things happen. We're in motion and it happens. The journey is the goal, not the destination. Exactly. Yeah. So something that I notice about the way that you speak, and it seems very deliberate where you take a very small word or a very small change to your manner of speech, your manner of speaking to change the whole meaning and everything. You've already done it in this conversation. Once deliberately you exposed it, once you didn't explain it. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about this when you said even better, you said, I'm going to allow uh, add a four letter word to change what I'm describing. It's very intentional speech, even better so that you're not implying that you weren't good to begin with. Well, another thing you said when you talked about the importance of gratitude, you said we need to live in gratitude. Talk to me about that. Well, I could talk to you for a long time about that, you know. So I, I break gratitude down into four different stages, okay? And we all travel in all of them. 
the lowest stage of all would be ungratefulness. Okay. Or ingratitude, if you want to call it that, you know, as long as it's one word, you know, the ungratefulness. Yeah. Difference between ingratitude and ingratitude. Ingratitude. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly. So look, I have a definition for gratitude unexpressed is ingratitude perceived. Interesting. Gratitude unexpressed is ingratitude perceived. So I would, I don't think that any of your listeners or viewers would consider themselves to be ungrateful. I think, you know, most people don't say I'm ungrateful and I'm proud of it. You know, it's it's something that we aspire towards becoming is is somebody that's known as somebody that's grateful. However, gratitude unexpressed is ingratitude perceived. And we move through life without really seeing the things that we're grateful for. We're not really and so there may be people, maybe something that happens. It may be, and so other people may think that you're ungrateful just because you didn't express it, make a, a vocal. And then in addition to that, imagine starting each day asking yourself, who can I see today that I didn't, wouldn't normally see that I could express gratitude to today? That changes your life. So it is how do we move out of that perceived ingratitude space when we're moving so fast where we're thinking about nothing but ourselves and you know, how do you move past that? And I can tell you, I mean, I try to ask myself a question every day, an empowering question. So it programs my subconscious mind to start looking for things that I wouldn't normally see. One morning I woke up, I said, who can I see today that I wouldn't normally see that, that I could say thank you to? And I, a place that I've been going for 25 years, once a month, and uh, I walked into the restroom there and I saw this big tall a guy working in there and, and he's cleaning the restroom. And I said, uh, are you responsible for this? And he goes, uh, yeah, I, I think he thought I was going to say, what, you know, and I said, yeah, I said, you could eat off the floor in here. It's beautiful. You know, people come from around the world just to come here for education and come here and do things. And they go back around the world. If they came in here and had a bad experience, it would affect their learning. And in some small way, thank you for doing this because you're blessing people around the world. And he kind of teared up. And I went back into the room with people that have been coming for the last four or five years to the same place every quarter. And I asked them, can you tell me what the janitor looks like here? Not one person could tell me. We move at such a pace, we don't see those. So we weren't really ungrateful. We're just so consumed in ourselves and our own thoughts. We don't see what's around us. So that's the lowest level. Okay. The next level would be what we call social gratitude. And social gratitude is what your mom told you. Say, please, thank you. You know, being able to express social gratitude to others. And so it's all about respect. And unfortunately, in today's world, for some people, thank you means I'm done with you. You know, they hand you the order, thank you. And it's just kind of like, thank you. It doesn't mean it doesn't have that expression. And that's why with our kids, especially, how many times have you heard, tell the man, thank you, but get them to express what they're thankful for when they say thank you. Teach them to say, I'm thankful for you taking the time to fix this for me. I thank you for thinking of me to do this. You know, Try to teach the kids to add what you're thankful for because that shows even more respect and it means more to them and it doesn't become meaningless. So that's the second level. The third level is the level of appreciation. This is one where it gets confused oftentimes with a positive attitude. You know, and this is where the risk comes in. I'm grateful for my health as compared to who, you know, I'm grateful for my, I'm, you know, I'm grateful f- for this food today as compared to what food, you know, we get involved in comparison to generate gratitude and that can run a risk. Can you be just appreciative without having comparison or expectation? 
Have you ever done something for somebody and they didn't say thank you or they didn't do what you wanted them to do? So you said, well, that's the last time I'm doing something for them. I'd like to say I've never done that, but I'd be lying to you through my teeth, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, uh, well, that's, you know, that's, you just, that's the last time I do it. Well, why'd you do it in the first place? Who were you doing it for in the first place? If you have those feelings, then you were doing it for you. And that's what I call arrows in. So arrows in is where it's all about me. And think about the world that we live in today. Social media, look at me. You know what I mean? you got this world that we, we, and politicians, look at me. Where is the gratitude? Where is that happening? You know, and so, and then you get the positive people. Give yourself a good mantra. I am strong. I'm incredible. I'm amazing. I'm this kind of thing. As compared to what? And uh, I'm not saying it's bad. Uh, you know, it can be good. But at the same time, you know, it, it, it's not the same thing as gratitude. It's positive attitude. And there's nothing wrong with the positive. There's a great thing with positive attitude. But gratitude is where you move the arrows out. And so that's the highest level of gratitude. So a priest, so you have ingratitude, then you have social gratitude, then you have appreciative gratitude, which is all of these are important. You, we're going to be work. you work up and down them all the time. The highest level is what we call empowering gratitude. So empowered, you know, gratitude that empowers. And this is where you do things without expectation and without comparison. So you actually are just doing it because you are grateful with no expectation, no comparison. It allows you to be grateful in. So, I mean, I can give you some, a couple of quick experiences. Somebody, I shared this with someone and I got a call from my husband and wife, but she called me and she said, I have to tell you a story. I said, tell me. She said, I was driving, I pulled into a gas station and I thought, I'm going to do something arrows out for somebody else. And so a car pulled in with a bunch of ladies in it, older ladies, and she went right over to their pump, swiped her card in it. And the lady leans out the window and says, what are you doing? And he said, she said, that's our pump. I said, she said, I, yeah, I know, but I'm, I, if it's okay with you, I'd like to fill your car up with gas. And the lady said, well, we were only going to put $5 in. And she said, well, can I fill it up? And she says, she, she touches, well, we're, it's her birthday. We're on the way to the casino. And can you hurry? So, so she puts it in, fills it up, goes over and says, thank you so much for allowing me to do this. And she didn't even say you're welcome. She just drove off. So now Marissa was her name. So Marissa, you know, is like, okay, bless her heart. She didn't have the attitude that I would have had. I would have been those little old biddies, you know, but she was getting ready to call her husband up and say, I had a marvelous experience today. I had the experience of being able to help somebody. She was focused more in what she was doing than she was in what happened. Do you mm. see what I mean? She was had the privilege to help somebody. She got the joy out of giving, not the joy of what she expected. But then the car backs up and I can imagine what happened in the car. I'd imagine, well, I'll, I'll, let me finish. The car backs up and the lady gets out, the driver, she says, it's my mom's birthday and she wants to say something to you. And she walks over and opens the car and this lady gets out. And she says, it's my 80th birthday. Nobody has ever done anything this nice for me. Can I give you a hug? And so you think about it, had Marissa left with a bad attitude and and I, I know what happened in the car. The mom said, did she just pay for our gas? You back this car up right now. <laughs> you know. And, and if Marissa had been gone, she'd have probably gone to the casino. And maybe she would have bought somebody's lunch at the casino or done something there because it would have ripples would have carried out. And Marissa, had she gone where I might have gone, 
She'd have gone home and told her, husband, that little bitties, that's the last time I'm doing anything like that. And that, that ripple would have spread out. You see what I mean? And so if we can all practice to be in that highest level of gratitude, and it takes practice, it takes practice. How can I be grateful in no matter what happens, no matter what my circumstances? So grateful, grateful in as opposed to grateful for. Yes. And, and how do you practice that? Or how do you, te- well, how do you practice um, it and how do you teach people? Well, we had a great example, and that was through our son, who, when he was living with cancer, he was never grateful for the cancer. But doggone it if he wasn't grateful in, you know, and he had three things that he lived for every day that kind of kept him and drove him. And he had an amazing four years and influenced so many people in so many positive ways. And uh, where even when it was toughest for us, he was able to find ways to be grateful in the moment. And one that, you know, that I mean, he had three things that he always said, you know, and the, one is that uh, be grateful in no matter what the circumstances are, always have something big to look forward to and uh, have fun. And those were his three things. But it became even more, you know, I mean, we all know what's important for us, but do we know what's essential for us? And if we understand what's essential, then things can happen for us, not to us, if you have that kind of a mindset. And that's where it's really, really tough. One time, right after he he was interviewed, unbeknownst to us, for a thing that went with PBS that went nationally, and and he actually looked into the camera and said, I've never asked why me. I've only asked, what can I do now that I have cancer? And he talked about some of the things that he had done. You know, we went two years, and then... uh, we went one year and then he went in, in with very stage four, very serious cancer. And they were to, had told him that they needed to take out his nose, his eye and part of his cheek because it was lodged back in his sinuses. And they said, if not, it's a very painful way to die. And so he said, no, he just looked at him and said, no, I'm going to get a second opinion. And he went and met with, there's only two doctors in the nation that really understood this kind of cancer. And the other one said, whatever you do, don't do it. So here he is in this dilemma. So he's told us, he says, we're going to think about this, pray about it. So on Tuesday, he said, he said I don't want to know what you think, but on Tuesday, come in and we'll talk about it. And uh, so he came in and he said, I'm going to go back to Boston and have them do surgery to clean everything out. And if it's as bad as the other doctor said, then they can go ahead. He came out of that surgery and the doctors came in and said, we couldn't find any cancer. I mean, just a month before you could see it. You could go up to his sinuses and see it. You can actually go into his eyes and see it. It's gone. Miracle. Well, we went a year that way and we went in for a regular checkup and the doctor came in and you could just tell by his demeanor. He said, Nick, it's back. And we're like, and he said, it's on your pancreas and it's not in your sinus. It's on your pancreas and in your spleen. Wasn't, wasn't in his pancreas, but on his pancreas, in his spleen. We need to take out your spleen and do some surgery. You need to come in tomorrow. And he said, he looked at the doctor, said, no. He said, and he looked at me and he says, book that skydiving trip. And he said, I'll come in on the next Monday. This is on a Wednesday. So on a Friday night, we went to San Diego, went to Padres game, two of us. We went, got up the next morning and it was raining cats and dogs. And I contacted the guy that's the Navy SEAL. And so he took us to SEAL headquarters and we got to run the obstacle course. And I'm thinking here, I'm looking at this 19 year old kid running the obstacle course. And, you know, how does, how do you have that disease inside of you? You know, the, the next day was a Sunday. It happened to be Easter Sunday and, and Nick's, Nick's NIX was the, was the uh, Navy SEAL guy and he called home to his family because it was going to be a beautiful day and he got permission and we called home and got permission. And so on Easter morning, Nick did a double somersault out of the plane with Nick's 
you know, connect, hooked up with Nick's. They came down. They did everything you can imagine. And I'm down at the bottom with glasses. I was supposed to go with them, but we didn't because it was Easter and Sunday. We couldn't find somebody to go. But anyway, so I'm down there watching this and I'm like, pull the chute, pull the chute, <laughs> pull the chute. And by the last minute, he pulled the chutes. It comes down and Nick comes over with a big grin on his face. And he says, now I'm ready. He found ways to be grateful in. And, and the other lesson on that is he understood he was he had the power to say no to the very important. Because was it very important that he get in for that surgery? Yes. But he had the power to say no to the very important because he had a bigger yes burning inside. He knew what was essential. He could say no to the very important because he had his essential. There is a correlation there. There is a correlation there of really understanding this isn't happening to me. This is happening for me. I love that. You're the second person this week I've interviewed that has described that the difference between life happening for you and experiences are for you, not to you. It's a different mindset. Yeah. And changing like, yes, like you is. do so well, change the smallest word and it changes everything. Right. Yeah. No question about it. Okay. Lee, could you, I, I'm so grateful for your time. And you know, one of the things I want to be um, respectful of is that before we end, could you talk to us about the rock? Okay. Yeah, sure. All right. There's more. I've got, you know, uh, just make sure I've got, I carry a rock in my pocket. Okay. So I have for years and, and it's not always the same rock. I've got a few other rocks around here, but I make sure that I always have a rock in my pocket. So there was a movie called the secret and they asked me what I consider to be the greatest secret in the world. And I said, gratitude. And somehow it got picked up into that movie and the movie went out. What they said, like 80 million views or some crazy number and Oprah touted it. I had no idea I was even in the movie to begin with. And it's kind of a funny story about how I found out, but I told a story there that got dramatized in it very short, but the real Genesis of the rock really happened when uh, one of our daughters was going through a really tough time and her name is Mariposa. Butterfly. That, that's her nickname. Excuse me. Butterfly. Yeah. And, uh, and so we called her, you know, I mean, that was just her nickname. When she was 12 years old and she's going through a super, super tough time. And we were putting her into a program. And uh, as I'm standing there with her and she's crying and she's feeling bad. And, and uh, I said, sweetheart, you've always been known as butterfly or mariposa, you know, and you've known the struggle of the caterpillar. You've known the loneliness of the cocoon. It's time for you to fly. So I said, I, I asked her, if, if you go through this program, are you going to be better or worse for going through it? And she said, better, I hope. And I said, by allowing your father to go through this with you, you're, is he going to be better or worse? And she said, well, I hope he's better. So if you're going to be better, I'm going to be better. Let's fly. We get on with it. So that very evening, I was in Southern California, Newport Coast, and uh, I was walking along, feeling sorry for myself, really. I mean, stuff is going on, different things are going on, and not the least of which now challenges there. And, picking up a rock and I was throwing it in the water, just whipping it across the water. And, and I reached down and picked one up. It was almost dark and, and I picked it up and looked at it and it had a perfect emblem of a butterfly on the rock. And literally I dropped to my knees. It just, and I said, I'm done. I am done of feeling sorry for myself. I am done with this. I talked to her about flying like a butterfly. It's time for us to, to take off. And, and at that moment, I think is the moment that, Gratitude became a central focus for me. And I went back and I re, re, wrote down what we had said the night before and sent her the rock. And so that rock, we still have it. We have it in safe now because of everything that's happened as a result of that rock. And 
I've been on airplane. I was on an airplane and a flight attendant comes by and writes me a little piece of note on my on a napkin and says, thank you, Mr. Brower, for the rock. And I'm like, what? You know, and so she comes by and she smiles and she pulls out a rock. And I'm like, how does this happen? And I can give you story after story after story. She talked about how she and her husband had lost her job. And they saw that or they read it one or the other and uh, and how she picked it up and it's saved her life. I've been in Chile and walking through the airport, Lori and I together, and I saw family come together and I saw them pull out a rock and started laughing and talking. And so then when I saw him by the baggage, I walked over to this young man and I asked him, what, what was that? He says, oh, that's called a gratitude rock. And I'm like, ah. He says, we carry him as a family. I had a man stop me on the street. I said, you were in the secret? I said, yeah. And he goes, can I tell you a story? I said, yeah. He said, well, exactly one year ago today. I said, like today, today, one year ago? He said, yeah, one year ago today, my wife passed away. And he said, I was bitter. We were just, I just retired. We're off. We had this beautiful future planned and everything was gone. He says, I was shaking my fist at the heavens. I was, I was mad. He said, but then I saw this and heard about it, read about it. I already saw it. And he said, you know, I went out to my wife's garden and I picked up a rock and he pulls it out and he shows it to me. He said, I decided in that moment, I was no longer going to be a victim. I was going to be a victor. And I still remember him saying those words. And I think, I don't know how. I'm so blessed to be in that position that some, how many years ago, 15 years ago now that that came out, I've been smuggled into Venezuela to work with the opposition on how to introduce gratitude back in the country. I've been, all these different things have happened. And I would say it started from a moment of where I was in ingratitude, ungrateful, that got turned around and has exploded out to where I still get email. I still get emails to this day from people around the world talking about how different stories of gratitude. How how I got blessed with that, not sure I know, but grateful. Well, I am grateful for you, Lee, grateful for your time. And I'm sure everybody listening is the same. And one last question, if you could tell somebody, somebody struggling, somebody starting this process that just needs that push to, to get that last piece of motivation to move them on, what would you suggest they do to begin this process of gratitude? Two things. One, ask yourself a question every day. And a question that I ask frequently is, can I be the answer to somebody's prayer today? And I don't know if I ever have, but at least then your mindset shifts to where you're looking out, not in. Arrows out, what I call arrows out, not arrows in. So if you can ask that question every day and then find yourself a rock. I mean, what, there's, there's plenty of them. You don't have to buy them. They're out there. You can, you know, there's plenty of rocks. Just get yourself a rock. And when you wake up in the morning, squeeze it. Just get to develop the routine of squeezing it. Stand in front of the mirror when you squeeze it. Look yourself in the eye and say, I love you. God loves you. And then ask, ask the question and walk out the door. And then when you get home at night, take it out of your pocket, squeeze it again or out of your purse, wherever you may be carrying it. Squeeze it again and say, what one thing can I be grateful for today? So start with, start with by looking yourself in the mirror and, and saying, I love you. And then... You are, God loves you. And then have a great day and smile because your subconscious mind's been hearing so many other yourself talks going the other way. You need to replace some of that. So anyway. Inspiring words. If that lands on nobody but me, Lee, you've, you've done an amazing job today. So thank you very much for no, your time. You. I hope someday we can do this again. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you for inviting me. We're grateful me. for everybody listening. We'll talk next time.